Judgment, self-judgment, might be strong enough to get you off your couch, but at the end of the day, does it make you happier? Does it make you feel more fulfilled to tell yourself, God, I'm so lazy? Does it make you feel more confident, more empowered to look in the mirror and notice only the things you hate? Because let me tell you, self-criticism is a dangerously easy habit to unwittingly develop. And if you start your transformation journey with a stick, it'll be hard to let go of it, even after you've crossed that bridge. That is just part of my answer to this week's Ask Joanne. And this is Are You Ready with Joanne Molinaro. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Are You Ready with Joanne Molinaro. So this week's episode was actually inspired by an Ask Joanne. You remember those. People submit questions to me, and I give them my honest and hopefully insightful take. Well, let me know if this sounds even remotely familiar. Earlier this year, you decided to commit to your health. For months, you started each day with a green concoction that tastes more and more like salad than juice. You filled your plate with veggies, whole grains, and lean protein. You started a fitness routine, too. You began by walking three times a week, then added a yoga class on Saturday, and then turned those walks into jogs. It was hard at first, but eventually, it took on a rhythm of its own, became a routine. Plus, the results were so motivating. Not only were you fitting into clothes that hadn't seen the light of day in years, you felt confident, empowered, and just all around good about yourself. You also started to journal every single day, a habit that once seemed unthinkable to you, but over time grew reflexive. You could see yourself living like this for the rest of your life, a thought you wrote down in that journal. In fact, You couldn't imagine your life without the green juice, weekend yoga, and the little brown notebook you cracked open each night before going to bed. And then, the work trip to D.C. happened, or the unfortunate incident with the acorn on your jog happened, or the ugly fight with your mom happened, or the holidays happened, or nothing at all happened. Before you know it, the veggies in your fridge are getting sad and wilty. The blender that was indispensable is collecting dust. The jeans you were so excited to wear just a few weeks ago are buried beneath a pile of clothes because you don't want to look at them because looking at them will force a confrontation that you can't handle right now, the same confrontation that all the blasted mirrors in your house invite. You tell yourself that tomorrow or on Monday, or after the guests staying at your house leave, you will resume all those healthy habits that you thought you couldn't live without. But tomorrow, Monday, and your family's departure, they're all no longer even visible in the rear view mirror. And still, your blender remains forlorn, your kale now yellow, the cover of that little brown notebook untouched. Sound familiar? If so, I've got sort of good news. You're not alone. Shockingly, only 2.7% of Americans, less than 3 out of 100 Americans, are able to maintain the following four healthy habits. Eating well, exercising regularly, avoiding smoking, 
and keeping their body fat in check. More specifically, 38% of Americans are able to maintain a healthy diet. Only 10% were able to maintain healthy body fat levels. 47% incorporated regular exercise. Now, a whopping 70% were able to avoid cigarettes, so that's a little bit of good news. But an astounding 11% did none of these things. While many people often try to adopt healthier habits, the average person gives up after seven weeks. In fact, one study found that nearly 80% of people give up their New Year's resolutions by mid-February. So if you find yourself in a rut, keep listening because this week's Ask Joanne tackles this very issue. Hello, Joanne. Recently, I've hit a slump, or rather a plateau. For five months, I finally got into a healthy routine, balanced eating, frequent workouts, reading more, etc. But a few weeks ago, I slowly started to fall out of these good habits. I was going back into my old ways, binge eating, rarely exercising, reading less. I told myself, we all have our ups and downs, but I've been in this slothful place ever since. How do I find enough motivation to get back on track? I've done it before, but for some reason, it's been much harder this time. Lily. Well, Lily, I can certainly understand your frustration. In fact, I'm going through a very similar slump myself. After two months of being incredibly intentional about my food, which for me involves avoiding refined sugar and adding more leafy greens, I went on vacation to Rome for our five-year anniversary. There, I not only indulged in lots of gelato, I mean, it's Italy, right? I gave myself a pass on running most days, blaming the humidity, cobblestones, and the rickety treadmill in the hotel's gym. I told myself repeatedly, it's okay to take a break. I'll get right back on track when I return home. That was nearly two months ago. Yesterday, I ate chocolate cake for breakfast. <laughs> Look, for some people, eating chocolate cake for breakfast is actually an improvement, or they've been blessed with the kind of genes that metabolize chocolate cake the same way the body would digest a kale salad, like my mother-in-law. <laughs> but alas, I am not that person. I can feel my body reacting to the daily doses of sugar. I wake up each morning and my hands are stiff. I have small patches of rashy skin on my underarms and my abdomen, and I get tired, even a little drowsy in the middle of the day, like I've accidentally consumed a sleeping pill. After 44 years of living with the skin I'm in, I know these are the telltale signs of my body growing fatigued with my diet. And yet, I keep finding excuses to hold off a little longer. Well, I mean, I can't let that whole chocolate cake go to waste. Someone's got to eat it. But Judy, my aforementioned mother-in-law, and David, my brother-in-law, will be in town. Judy loves eating cake for breakfast, and I don't want her to be the only one doing it. I've been working really, really hard these days. I deserve this chocolate cake. These excuses, they're like moats. Ugly, muddy, murky, swampy, but also super chocolatey bodies of water between myself and the castle I'd like to enter. So the trick is, Lily, to build a bridge that will take you perhaps not all the way to your castle, 
but a quarter of the way, maybe even half the way. Then you'll take a break, peruse your surroundings, figure out what the next best move will be before building the next part of your bridge. You may have to do this a few times before you finally find yourself back in that castle. Now, what do I mean by this? Well, tackle one healthy habit, not all of them. I get it. You want to eat healthy, exercise, meditate, and read War and Peace all at once because you want to be that person, the Lily who does all those things like it ain't no thing. And there's some merit to this thinking. Studies have shown that exercising promotes healthy eating and healthy eating promotes exercising. To me, I always think of it as such a waste to be running 25 miles a week while eating in a way that doesn't support that level of activity and vice versa. But studies have also shown that trying to transform too many habits all at once will likely prevent you from starting, lead to failure, or end in burnout, which is just delayed failure. This all then leads to self-flagellation and even depression, which will make your castle even farther out of reach than it was when you started. Another thing, tackle one small healthy habit, not a big one. According to B.J. Fogg, a behavior scientist at Stanford and the author of Tiny Habits, one of the keys to starting or restarting a good habit, as the case may be, is picking a really, really small habit to begin with. For example, if you want to start flossing every day, commit to flossing one tooth a day. I think the idea is that if you pick something so absurdly small, you'll basically be shamed <laughs> into doing it. I mean, come on, like you can't even just do one tooth a day. One of the most frequent mistakes I make when I've been sidelined from running with an injury is thinking I can just hop back on the fitness train as soon as I'm healthy again. You may still remember very vividly what you felt like while you were eating well, exercising and reading every day. And as a result, you might be tricked into thinking that if you just drum up enough motivation, you can do all those things again tomorrow as if you'd never stopped. But the last time I tried running like I'd never stopped, I ended up re-injuring myself, which meant many more months of not running and, of course, berating myself. Instead, pick one thing or even a small version of that one thing to start tomorrow or on Monday, which is what I like to do. For example, commit to reading one page out of a book a day. It doesn't even have to be a good book. It can be a lurid murder mystery. I've got recommendations for that below. A hot, steamy romance novel or even your favorite copy of The Hardy Boys. It doesn't even have to be the same book. Just one page out of any old book a day. A third thing to remember, tackle the next healthy habit in two months. On average, it takes about two months for people to develop a habit. Therefore, don't try and add to your habit plate before you've successfully incorporated your first one. I know, that castle, it's beckoning, and you're anxious to build the bridge that leads right up to the front gate today. But chances are, if you rush things, the bridge you've built will crumble before you get there. As you can see, we're talking about a long-term commitment. Why? 
Because the last thing you want, Lily, is to find yourself in the exact same predicament a few months from now. As you say, I've done this before, which suggests you're no stranger to getting on and off the track. Now, while that's totally normal, it's also possible to adopt habits that are so sticky, you'll almost never find yourself off track. For instance, I never in a million years would have thought that a 0.75 mile run would turn into over a decade of running. Subject to taking breaks for health reasons, e.g. the twisted ankle, shin splints, COVID, I've been running nonstop since January 2013. Similarly, what started out as an experiment, i.e. cutting out animal products from my diet, is now so ingrained in my daily life, I can't ever imagine going back to eating meat. But here's the thing. That 0.75 mile run in 2013, that wasn't my first time running. In fact, I'd had a long and fraught love-hate relationship with running before then. It stuck, however, because I didn't set out to run four miles for that first run. Instead, I committed to running 0.75 miles three times a week. I didn't change my diet. I didn't reduce my TV watching. I didn't try and omit the F word from my vocabulary. I just had one thing to focus on for several weeks. After that, then I went through the process of cleaning out my fridge and adding a little more kale to my day, a tiny teensy kale salad with my lunch at the office. Finally, take a good long look at that castle closer up. So you're halfway to that castle. You're reading up to three pages a day. And just last week, you added one green vegetable a day to your diet. Now take a good look around you. Perhaps the castle is still some distance away, but it's much closer than when you started building that bridge. Am I right? Now I want to ask you a question. Does it look as good as you remember? Does it look as good as you imagined? I'm the last person in the world that shirks hard things in favor of easy answers. In fact, for me, the right path is almost always the path of most resistance. I get anxious when things are too easy, when I'm too happy, when I'm too content, because there's some deep-seated instinct that assumes that good things must always be hard. And thus, the converse must also be true. Easy things are always bad. You know the saying, there's no such thing as a free lunch. So I say this with all the intention and deliberation that my 44 years of life can inject. Sometimes you just gotta eat chocolate cake for breakfast. And no, I don't mean that literally. For all I know, you might be allergic to chocolate, in which case I feel sorry for you. What I mean is that you have to really believe what you said, Lily. We all have our ups and downs. Because here's the thing, I don't think you really believe that. If you did, why would you call your current position a slothful one? Judgment, self-judgment, might be strong enough to get you off your couch, but at the end of the day, does it make you happier? Does it make you feel more fulfilled to tell yourself, God, I'm so lazy. 
Does it make you feel more confident, more empowered to look in the mirror and notice only the things you hate? Because let me tell you, self-criticism is a dangerously easy habit to unwittingly develop. And if you start your transformation journey with a stick, it'll be hard to let go of it, even after you've crossed that bridge. I have this photo that Anthony took of me the morning of my last marathon. I was skinnier than I can ever remember, even skinnier than on my wedding day. And while it was the slowest 26.2 miles I've ever run, I still possessed the fitness necessary to cross the finish line of my fifth marathon. The past few weeks, I've been gearing up in preparation for my next marathon, New York City in November, and there's been a small little war going on inside my brain. One part of me obsesses over that picture that Anthony took, believes with every fiber in her being that she must return to the fitness level of that skinny lady who ran her fifth marathon. But another part of me thinks, yeah, maybe it's okay to do what she's been doing, running in accordance with her training plan, eating healthy most of the time, and indulging in chocolate cake every once in a while. After all, I'm 44 years old. And while I may not be as agile and lean as my 31-year-old cousin, my 31-year-old cousin won't be running any marathons anytime soon. In other words, it's so easy to get caught up in the goal that we lose sight of the many extraordinary achievements we collect along the way. After you've added one or two healthy habits back into your routine, pause, take stock, Perhaps that castle you were trying to reach, maybe it wasn't all that after all. Life is indeed full of ups and downs, and however much we want to see things clearly, the truth is, the only way to prepare for a roller coaster is to accept the fact that your vision will sometimes get blurred. It's okay to reevaluate what makes you happy after you've put in a little work. It's okay to tell yourself that reading three pages a day and eating one broccoli florette at dinner is your max. Now don't get me wrong, you have to be honest with yourself. If it isn't your max, lying to yourself about it won't make you happy either. My point is, Lily, the world, it never stops moving. And therefore, you need to keep adjusting your focus if you want your vision to become clear. Wishing you all the best. Thanks, Lily, for submitting your question. I really do wish you all the luck in the world in beating that ugly plateau, but also coming to a place in your life where you can look in the mirror and not call yourself slothful or lazy or any number of other critical terms. That's not motivation. It may seem like it at times, but it really isn't. If you have a question on which you'd like some advice, make sure to hit the link below and ask Joanne. Just a quick announcement. I know it's been a minute since I've done a live book signing slash cooking demo. I just wanted to let you know that I will be headed back to my alma mater, the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign next month on September 21st to do a live cooking demonstration and book signing as part of Pygmalion Think 2023. I'm going to include a link below so that you can pick up your tickets and come say hi. And with that, 
we are on to this week's parting thoughts. The other evening, I was at a posh LA event, one that was armed to the hilt with the glitz and glamour that La La Land is known for. Celebrities, wine, and the soft glow of Hollywood drifting in between the boughs that hovered around us. Gladys Knight, the Empress of Soul, crooned into a microphone not 20 feet from where I stood, and I had my arm wrapped around Anthony's waist as he moved in time with the music. It was tempting to feel entirely out of place. Our tickets to this event had been paid for by the generous sponsor. In lieu of donning designer togs, I opted for a jersey tube dress that looked cocktailing enough while also letting me breathe. The invitation had indicated lots of standing, so the heels stayed tucked away in my closet while I laced up a pair of nice sneakers. I felt eyes on me as soon as I stepped into the dappled courtyard. Instinctively, I attributed them to this or that. What is she wearing? Are those gym shoes? God, why are they letting the riffraff in? Intellectually, I know how unlikely it is that these sorts of indictments were being leveled at me, how they are merely projections of my own insecurities. But carefully wrought deductions provide a rather flimsy armor when you are repeatedly subjected to a head-to-toe once over. Later that evening, our host offered to introduce us to the four-time James Beard award-winning chef Suzanne Gowen, who was charged with feeding everyone at this event. She had created an entirely vegan room for plant-based guests, one filled with delicious glazed carrots, a crunchy salad, toasted sourdough, focaccia, roasted eggplant, and possibly my new favorite condiment, muhammara. As we approached her stall, Chef Gowen and her sous-chef were frantically putting together plates that seemed to disappear as rapidly as they were composed. This is Joanne Molinaro, the Korean vegan, our host introduced. The chef did a double take, and her young sous-chef turned around. Wait, the Korean vegan? Chef Gowen asked, after which the sous-chef chimed, We have your cookbook! It turns out that the adept young sous-chef was her daughter, an avid TikTok user, it also turns out that Chef Gowen's husband, also a chef, experimented with a plant-based diet, and my book introduced a fresh set of tools and flavors to their kitchen. Your book has been a godsend, the chef remarked. A few minutes later, while I was mingling with some of the other guests, the chef came out from behind her stall and asked whether I'd agree to take a picture with her and her daughter. You'll make her night. As we linked arms, she whispered to me, to my daughter, you are the most important person here. And that is the story of how I arrived to a party feeling a little shabby, a little out of place, but left feeling like a million bucks. Thanks everyone for joining me for another episode of Are You Ready with Joanne Molinaro. If you enjoyed this episode, do me a favor, hit that subscribe button. If you haven't already, leave a comment or a rating below. If you are longtime listeners, you know that every other week we do, I think, really engaging interviews and stories of other people. So if there's somebody you really want to hear from on the Are You Ready podcast, drop that in the comments below. Of course, if there's somebody you think might enjoy this episode, please go ahead and share it with them. Share it with your friends, your family, your colleagues, your loved ones, even on social media. Otherwise, until next week, I hope you have a lovely and wonderful day. 